We have a small problem. <laughs> They've reopened the X-File. This is the Extra Hot Great Podcast, episode 102 for the week of January 25th, 2016. I am autoerotic asphyxiation enthusiast David T. Cole, and I'm here with ceiling pencil Sarah D. Bunting. You're a number two. Poorly manicured man Joe Reed. Ugh, these nails. Viral B, Tara Ariano. Eat me! And Scoop Mark Scar, <laughs> E. Baby. Why would Scully need a desk? I don't know, because she works there? Hello, everybody. Welcome back Hello. to the Extra Hot Great Podcast, and welcome back to Eve Beatty. Oh, yes! welcome, Eve. <laughs> Eve is joining us because The X-Files is back. Uh, as we record this, uh, only the first one has actually aired on Fox. Some of us have seen the second one already, and some of us have not. Um, but Eve will be covering it all this season for us on Previously.TV, so we've got her here to talk about it. Um, I was wary going into it. I'll just start by saying that a lot of critics were like, it's bad, it's corny, it's super bad, and I thought it was fine. <laughs> I think a lot of people are forgetting it's always been pretty corny. What did everyone else think? I felt like it it felt like they picked up kind of on the tone they left off on. Um my big problem with the episode wasn't the tone, the corniness of it because X-Files sort of trucked in that a lot mm-hmm. and that was yeah. part of its appeal. Um uh, my big problem was sort of this hand-waving, you know, uh conspiracy within a conspiracy spearception thing they tried <laughs> to do. Like that Mulder's like, you know what? Yeah, you know what? All that alien shit I saw, it was just like somebody doing a really, really good job to make me think it was aliens, but actually they're just using the aliens so that they can, you know, bump up the oil prices and all this sort of stuff. It was just like so much happened in nine seasons of the X-Files previous to this episode that that attempt just seems so utterly lazy on Chris Carter's part to me. And not only that, but like, We've had the storyline where Mulder thinks that everything he's been told is a lie to fool him on the X-Files before. Like, this isn't even the first time we've gotten that angle on him. Like, so it just felt like not even just a doubling back on itself, but like a triple backflipping on itself where for – I guess for reasons of like having a clean slate for, for reasons of having people be able to like hop onto it now and not have to worry about going back into their Wikipedia and like figuring out what had happened before. And And I guess that's fine. And also maybe like trying to keep up with the times. Like that is a better, like Chris Carter thinks, well, that's a better hook. You know, the nineties, everybody was, you know, everybody had their alien shirts, their schwa merchandise and aliens were big. And now really it's more of, you know, post a nine eleven, you know, government's out to get everybody. Um, they're the most, yeah. you know, uh, nefarious organization in the world, and that needs to be sort of the number one thing. Like whether yeah. or not that pans out throughout the season, I doubt it will. But it just seemed like, even in the context, even if it's contained to this first episode, that felt like such a a false thing to do, and so untrue to the trajectory of the series that i was kind of like i was like no you didn't have to do that. yeah i i kind of appreciated how sort of like cartoonishly big they made the conspiracy where they were like and then we're all going to be off planet but they're going to kill the people who are on planet and i was just like wow but i thought that was a little bit in keeping of 
the X-Files sort of, you know, that corniness that we talked about. But it did feel like that whole thing with like Big Oil, Edward Snowden, and that whole long monologue that showed all those little video <laughs> flashes felt like something that, you know, an older uh, entity trying to be current by being like, what's on Snapchat right now, guys? Well, and do you know, like, so, uh, oh. and I swear to God, I'm going to let other people talk. But <laughs> yeah, me too. We'll do you see. know what, uh, who've already did that exact plot line, you know, the global, um, you know, oil and elite conspiracy, uh, a few chosen humans, and the rest are cowed into, you know, consumer uh, submission. There's a little man called John Carpenter and they live. <laughs> it is that Solid. scenario. And even with like the humans, <laughs> they get to live off earth. And uh, while well, all the shit is going down in the final plan, that's ex- all you know, who else they did, live. Dave, yeah. a little person. I was going to say a little person called Kirk Cameron and oh. left behind. Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, time well, sure flies like, when you're reading the Bible. Like every <laughs> YA novel that's getting made into something with like Julianne Moore, Kate Winslet, or whoever putting a deck <laughs> on the house seems to sort of involve that same thing. You know, now we all live in, you know, ATM cubicles and, you know, scorch trials and Hunger Games yeah. and. Now I sound old, but I mean, it's, it, yeah, it's definitely well-trod ground. Um, if it's any consolation, the first episode does not thus far seem to be representative of the series. Okay. It hmm. definitely, I mean, because I think that one of the biggest problems with the first episode, in my opinion, is that Mulder sort of went from a, hey, you know, here's this weird stuff, and I'm just, you know, I'm going to say a bunch of weird conspiracy things, to being like the wild-eyed guy on the back of the bus that no one wants to sit by like he sort of he he lost he wasn't funny he wasn't like you know he lacked seemed to lack self-awareness and that he just like ditched everything that he has known for the last like whatever because he met this one russian lady with some scars it all seemed very difficult for me to believe and so the second episode is almost a reboot of that because it falls back into the old pattern that you sort of understand yeah. while still having sort of the large. It doesn't really explain how it made the leap. Oh, which no. Which I was fine with <laughs> because I don't like the first 10 to 12 minutes of the uh, premiere were so slow. Like I was just doing other things at my oh, desk, yeah. like knitting, staring at some lint. Uh, I mean, <laughs> it was real slow. And then Dukovny is not quite um, a good enough actor to pull off this, like, Russian nesting doll of conspiracy thing, which I don't know, maybe I'm just watching too much in search of lately, but here's the thing about a conspiracy that big. You have to wonder why anyone would go to these lengths to do anything Mm -hmm. because these are some intense lengths and it's like, and what, what is this for again? It's just a like gentleman to evil moment that you're like, I don't (laughs) believe the motivation. I don't believe Duchovny believes it. That's a problem. And then he's literally wearing an army jacket and hitchhiking yeah. from place to place. <laughs> and then as of the second episode, at least that has been toned down. But then you're in this kind of and they do it pretty well, especially Gillian Anderson. But then you're in this, you know, Walt scenario. Yeah. But with gay Matt from Melrose. And it's like, I don't. Where are we? I mean, Drama? I didn't hate it. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I didn't, I mean, I didn't hate it, but I, part of me just kept wondering why, why we needed this. Like, I, I don't recall feeling like there were loose ends. I don't think I understand why this is being 
picked up again, unless it's to demonstrate that many of the principles have not really aged visibly at all. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Nor has the cast. I mean, not since maybe like the Harry Potter movies has a casting director done such a good job of casting people who have aged really, really well. (laughs) Um, I mean, I will say that that everybody looks great. Oh (laughs) my God. That was like fake gray in his hair. Like, dang. All right. Somewhere there's a really big attic and a whole lot of portraits lined up. Good for (laughs) y'all. No, he well because I pulled up his picture because to, to find out what Matt's last name was, and I was like, he looks better now. And I'm not just saying that because I'm older now. I mean, <laughs> he looks better now. He really and, and no more built. And Duchovny looks good, and you know, and Skinner looks good. I mean, everyone looks really good. And I, I mean, that's just such a relief because I do find it so distracting when someone's had a great deal of visible visible plastic surgery. Yeah. Tim Daly on Madam Secretary, and <laughs> uh, you know, and so it's just nice to see. people people look like, well, yeah, we're older and this is how we look and that they own it in the credits. Everyone's got like, you know, their old ID picture. There's something about that that is sort of nice and showing these people just growing up is, I think, a nice switch. I also want to complain about Joel McHale a little bit on the first episode. <laughs> oh, please. To me, yes, that, less. This, this was a huge problem because he was obviously supposed, I mean, like, people who have, whatever, like he has a web show and he somehow makes money. Like, I don't know you guys, but you know, maybe, maybe it's on Yahoo. Well, I guess not now, but I mean, he, uh, people who do this stuff, whether or not they're crazy, you know, are enormously charismatic. I mean, I don't know, like if you guys have ever met Bill O'Reilly, he is whatever, like you meet him and you, you want to make him like you, even though, you know, he's a monster. And, um, that, so that character needed to be like that. And I like Joel McHale. I, you know, I missed the soup. I thought it was enjoyable, but every single line sounded like he was just getting ready to set up a punchline about the Kardashians. Yeah. It he's, was he's so a little weird. glib and a little lightweight for what that part demanded i think i agree with but you. he's i mean he's in on it right i don't well i mean i don't know the whole thing where all of a sudden he's like hey scully i was just here to see you again and then they're in the limo with the champagne and all this i mean <laughs> and then she's on the phone and his hand comes in from out of frame to like take her shoulder i was like okay this is a black hat Mm-hmm. Well, what I liked when she maybe I'm wrong, but I'm when, not she, insane, when, she, right? when she gets the phone call and she's just like handing him the drink, like 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 I hand my husband, you know, stuff when I'm on the phone. Like here, just take. That this. was a fun cutaway. I thought that was <laughs> yeah. Good. But I mean, I don't know. Like I I will say that's a super nice wig. That's way nicer than the wig he had for Community or the soup. So <laughs> I mean, they put money more money into that than they did into blowing up the uh, little alien inspired ship. Yeah. I will say this also. I would like a at some point a drop of Scully saying uh, that thing about so bogus and dangerous and stupid that it borders on treason, which like rivals the Billy Madison. Uh, we're all dumber for having heard it for just like total complete takedown. I can't imagine anybody could even stand up after she said that. I was just like, okay. Yes, yes. Oh, by the way, you're, there's no alien DNA in you. You're fine. Yeah, <laughs> mic drop. Bye. She's the best. Jillian Anderson and Scully both are like co the best. Oh yeah. Well, I I had fun getting back into this. I'm hopeful that the smaller run of it means stuff will actually get wrapped up in a reasonable way. Although I'm not, you know, a hundred percent confident that that's the case based on past experience. I I admire the economy of the effort already. I'll say that. Yeah, nothing ever seems to end these days anyway, so I feel like I would expect at least some loose ends at the end of this. 
How yeah, long? as long as cast members are living, right? It's not. It's not an end. How long does it run? Six episodes. Oh, well, there you go. Nothing will be resolved, so that they can have <laughs> another six episodes in a year time, and just yeah. do it that way. And that's fine if they want to do that for a couple of years. But uh, you know, they left the whole colonization thing dangling at the end of season nine, and now with season ten, it's this whole you know, oh, two thousand twelve came, and then uh, we all decided that it was actually just the start of this bigger non-alien conspiracy. Blah blah blah. Right. So I, you know, now we have to wait for that to flip flop a few times, and you know, that's going to take. Or the the finale seasons. of this one is like pan out to like what are the aliens in a Treehouse of Horror? Like in their pod, like actually. Well, yeah. did you guys see the last movie? No. No. Because my husband tells me that I saw it. I have no memory <laughs> of it. <laughs> it's weird. I also saw it according to Netflix and gave it three stars, I guess, because <laughs> I took a good nap. I don't know. <laughs> I think I recorded it from HBO at some point and it sat on the DVR for a while until both of us were like, we're never going to watch this. And we never did. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, we've all watched the first one. And just because we're like recording in between the first and second mm-hmm. episodes, only a couple have watched the second one. But this is the second one uh, mythology or Monster of the Week? Uh, it has some mythology, but it also you could argue that it's a monster of the week. Okay. You could watch just that one, be in and out, and be happy. Right? Yeah. If you liked a more procedural standalone X Files, as I did, that one will be more your jam. Yeah. And they, it's like they realize, like, okay, let's just get back to, like, let's just get back into it where they're partners, and we're not doing a lot of faffing around about like how we're getting the band back together. Yeah. Let's mm-hmm. have the band together. Um. Yeah, and there's some super Grotsky visuals too. If you're into <laughs> oh, the nasty yeah. special effects, if you're if you're uncomfortable about anything involving children, you mm. cannot watch this episode. <laughs> which fortunately does not relate to any of us. But so, I mean, second episode better than the first. More. Whoa. Yeah. Oh yeah. 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 Well, yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. And, and, and it, people and, listening and to this have probably the already form. watched them both, but okay. just for our yeah. yeah. All right. Yeah. Well, that's good. I mean, that's something because this first one was like a nostalgia trip and it was kind of fun to see where everybody is now and you know like oh he kicked the i want to believe poster that's sad and mm-hmm. all that sort of stuff and the pencils and the ceiling and it was all a nostalgia trip but like the episode as a whole kind of left me like a little sad because it was just like i felt like they were just kind of grasping at straws on how to yeah, continue that's how i felt after the first one so i quickly started the second one just to see yeah. If I'd stopped after the first one, I don't think I'd watch the rest, oh, yeah. but I will watch the rest now because the second one's enough like what I liked. Uh, I'll mm-hmm. stick with it. I what? just want to give uh, one quick mention to something that uh, is enrages me and mostly no one else cares, but fucking football. Oh, my God. <laughs> Judging by Twitter, everyone wants to burn down the NFL <laughs> because last night's game ran so far over. And then apparently because I wasn't watching the like the post show, obviously. Um, there was some kind of thing with like, then Jeff Gordon was there talking about something or other. people were fucking furious. <laughs> like, this is me every week with the good wife. So I'm glad everyone else has gotten on board. Football sucks. Burn down football. <laughs> Don't schedule important things after football games. Just let football be the night. Put it on another night. I am not a crackpot. Yeah. Oh, wait. Wait, hang on. I had something for this. Oh, you did? Where we go? Let's see the short one. All right. I am not a crackpot. <laughs> okay. I am not a crackpot. <laughs> But once a year and totally at random, a football game gets preempted by a television show. 
<laughs> and it just happens once, just so sports people understand the pain and suffering that TV watchers get like every week and just once only- a year it happens you never know could be a playoff game could be the first game of the season could yep. be a boring game mm-hmm. could be the fucking super bowl yep but it has to happen once a year and it's something football sure. watchers hate like it's called the midwife or something yeah going to watch like carolina versus whoever like what? oh yeah it's like real housewives or something what are these yeah. accents yeah put that baby away etc <laughs> uh any closing thoughts on x-files before we move on if you just watched the first episode and you thought I can't handle it, uh, follow Sarah's advice and give it one more <laughs> shot. I think you'll be pleased. Sounds good. Agree. Hi, Liv. Hey, Mom. We just finished watching Season 10, Episode 2 of Face Off. Yep. Can you describe the <laughs> challenge this week? This week... They were dim partners again, and they were making whimsical, kid-friendly objects that are toys to life for kids. Did you like this one? Yeah, I liked it. It it seemed fun. What toy would you choose to make if you were on the show? I would probably make a dolly. And how, how would you make her different so that she came to life like a toy? I would do... I would do shading and also making it more realistic than an actual toy because toys are just like smiling and doing nothing usually. But if you did a doll, wouldn't it just be a person standing there? You'd have to kind of make her look like a toy too, right? Well, yeah. You could add some special accessories or (laughs) I was thinking also a teddy bear or something like that. Cool. Um, and there was a special guest this week that was the judge. Do you remember who it was? Paul Rubin. And who's he? He worked on Pee-wee's Playhouse. <laughs> Pee-wee's Playhouse. <laughs> Pee-wee's Playhouse. And we watched a little clip of Pee-wee's Playhouse from uh, the 80s. What did you think of it? It was cool. And V worked on it, too. So it's kind of like old friends coming back together again. Almost like old friends from high school meeting each other and finding out they're working together. (laughs) Mm -hmm. I bet a lot of people would love that. (laughs) And uh, they were all in teams of two except one group because uh, Melissa was the winner from last week and she got to choose a team to join. Do you think that's an advantage or a disadvantage? The way they worked together was uh, was a pretty good advantage. Yeah, because they ended up doing really well, didn't they? Yep, they were amazing. But uh, Paul Rub- Rubin said that their candy looks sad. And we don't <laughs> want candy to look sad. It's candy. Come on, it's happy. Candy's happy. Yep, and and that <laughs> one was your favorite. Yep. <laughs> My very favorite was the watch. Uh, that Anna and Mel made. Why was it your favorite? Oh, thanks for asking. <laughs> uh, I thought they did a good job on the cowl. It made it look like a watch my dad used to wear. Oh, I liked I liked the lollipop one because it was pretty good, too, because it was amazing, and I love candy. <laughs> and Ellie's here. Ellie, what was your favorite makeup? Um, my favorite makeup was the clock, too, because um, it was so funny, and I, I kind of liked the TikTok they used for, like, the, no, for the nose, and the nose, 
kind of looked white because it was a white flat, and the white flat didn't know, and I didn't know that it was a white flat until I knew it now. Awesome. Thanks, Ellie. You're welcome, Mom. And we'll see you on Face Off again. <laughs> Goodbye. Bye, Ellie. All right, Liv. So who was in the top uh, this week? The tops were Mel and Anna and also Rob and Johnny and Melissa. They were the lollipops. And who won? Mel and Anna. And the ultimate winner? Mel because of her painting. That's right. And who is in the bottom? Jennifer and Jirogi. 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 And also (laughs) Robert and Yvonne. And which did you think was the worst out of those ones? Both of them were pretty bad. Both of them seemed a little creepy to me. And they didn't do a very good job on the makeup. Even by the time that the models came up for evaluation, all the the cowls were peeling off and there um, there was makeup missing on their neck. Yeah, there was makeup missing on... The yellow crayon. Mm-hmm. And who ended up losing? It was Jennifer and Narogi. Jirogi. Mm-hmm. And Jennifer went because of her cowl. It looked like <coughs> someone was wearing a yellow pylon on their head strapped with a weird clown wig. Now, um, once the Pee-wee's Playhouse movie comes out, is that something you think you're going to want to see? Um, maybe. I'm not quite sure. We'll reevaluate it then. We'll reevaluate it then. <laughs> All right. Thanks for speaking with me this week, Liv. And we'll see you next week on Face Off. I think Nirogi is the uh, is Jirogi. the yeah. Oh, Jirogi. Uh But when they said Nirogi, I, I think it's the uh, the dude from the in the uh, urn at the beginning of Temple of Doom. Mm. And that's your Indiana Jones fact. <laughs> <laughs> Hello, everyone. It's time for another installment of The Bladder Presents. Uh, we really should not go right after these charming children. But anyway, <laughs> today I'd like to talk about uh, American Experience, which is, as you may have heard, a PBS show. It is now entering its 28th season. Good grief. God. I know. Um, and if you're thinking to yourself, PBS history boring, um, I guess jump ahead. I actually really <laughs> like the series because it's uh, like history that I can listen to. While doing other things and learn things and feel smart. Uh, They kicked off the season with uh, an episode about um, a mining strike. But the most recent episode was about Bonnie and Clyde. I was going to give it a skip because I feel like that subject is totally overdone. I just feel like it's all in that like Dunaway, Beatty lane. And I don't totally understand why it's glamorized and I don't care. But I really learned a lot. Michael Murphy who you may remember as Yale in uh, Woody Allen's Manhattan, is a really good narrator. He has been the narrator for a while. He's perfect for it. And the show as a whole seems to be going in a crimey direction this season. There is no new episode this week, at least in the New York market. But next week, they're doing the assassination of James Garfield. And P.S., hmm. playing the doctor in one of the voiceovers, James Eckhouse. Hey! Hey, what's up? <laughs> Garfield assassinated on uh, on a Monday. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, I would explain a few things I know about Garfield. With a poison lasagna. 
the irony. <laughs> I'm make yeah, I think steps. Eckhaus plays the doctor who like just dug around in the in the wound and that's awesome. Basically killed him. Uh, and then the week after that is uh, the you know crime of the century, Leopold and Loeb. So hey. maybe they just ran out of like I don't know classy things to do, and now they're digging into like the sordid history of American crime. If so, I'm all for it. So American experience, check your local listings. And if you have um, Apple TV or the PBS app, uh, the Bonnie and Clyde episode and other older episodes are available therein. Awesome. All right, everybody, it is time to go around the dial, and this week we're starting with Eve. So um, I wanted to talk today about Blackish. I'm not generally a fan of uh, family-style sitcoms, in large part because um, so frequently they seem to be about married people who hate each other. Since, uh, <laughs> you know, yeah, the, I, I agree that hate is a component in any marriage, especially, you know, after, I mean, I, I'm assuming everyone marries someone they already know. So yeah, of course you hate them every once in a while, but there has to be other stuff happening for things to work. And in my opinion, Blackish is one of the best and most accurate depictions of marriage that TV has ever had. Um, you know, they, you can tell that they hate each other sometimes, they <laughs> think each other are idiots, but it's never that sort of a nasty, malicious thing that I have felt in so many other shows. Modern Family. Um, Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Modern Family is a great example. Everybody loves Raymond. Even Monica and Chandler, I <laughs> had serious issues with. Um, and, you know, while there are kids on the show, and I am not a kid fan, they're used just minimally enough for my taste. And they're just weird enough that they actually seem like, I mean, TV kids, not like real kids, but TV kids. Um, one of the kids is sort of developing into a borderline sociopath. <laughs> and it's not cute, but it's... I mean, it is a little funny. I also think that, um, you know, the people on the show, how they write, it seems to bring out the best in their guest stars. Um, the example that springs most to my mind is that Tyra Banks was on yeah. a few weeks ago. She was really funny. I, wasn't she great? She was great. I mean, I'm, my husband and I looked at each other and I was like, we are here enjoying Tyra. <laughs> and, you know, and I say this is someone who I watched The Fab Life, uh, RIP. Um, you know, I watched all of Top Model and I watched the Tyra Banks show every once in a while. And I feel that she has this incredible tendency to just suck the air out of any room she enters. And, you know, and it's the Ty Ty show when she's making hashtags. And, but she was, she was just terrific on it. And I felt like everyone worked well with her, which to me, when someone is almost always shitty and suddenly they're good, that to me is a triumph of writing and direction. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and finally, like, look, I am white and I am fully aware that my understanding of the black experience is completely that of an outsider but i appreciate what appears as an outsider to be candor and honesty and humorous pride in racial identity um i think that you know if you've been skipping it either because you think oh well you know this is a black show and i'm you know i'm not going to understand or it's just a cheesy family comedy like modern family or everybody loves raymond or some shit like that i think you should really reconsider i think you're really gonna like it the last episode i thought was really smart too it was all about money Oh, so good. It was like leading up to them doing their taxes, I guess. And so (laughs) to speak to your point about them actually liking each other, one of the things that that Dre, the Anthony Anderson character, spends his money on a lot is sneakers. (laughs) So he's they're having this conversation about how they're broke. And then he pulls out these pair of sneakers that he got overnighted from Japan that have like a little piece of ostrich on them. And then they cut to (laughs) Bo and she's like, first of all, 
those are fabulous, which is such a funny detail. Um, but I loved, uh, there's also true stuff in it too. Like when she calls her mother, cause the whole thing is about how she yeah. doesn't like to, she, she tried to make him deal with all the money and he was bad at it too. And then she calls her mother and was like, why did we never talk about this? Why didn't I ever learn how finances work? And her mother was like, cause I don't like to talk about it. It makes me feel stupid. Like that's a real true thing that a lot of people experience including oh. in this room right now. <laughs> oh, in, in, in my, in my relationship too. Um, my, my husband is totally the, the bow. He has no idea if I died tomorrow, I don't know, do not know what he would do about the bills. And also, can I just say, I had no idea Lawrence Fishburne could be that funny. He's, and he's great. so funny on yeah, the show. He's, really good he's on so show. great. Yeah. Yeah. Agree. It's a great show. And so while I'm here, I'm going to plug uh, my coverage of iZombie. iZombie uh, has a longer order than we initially thought. Yeah. So uh, we're going to have more episodes. Well, not that you thought, Tara. You know, we're <laughs> on the same page. But yes. um, but so it's actually running a little later in the season uh, than you might have expected as a viewer. So, But that means that it's taking breaks here and there. So it's going to be back on February 2nd, as will I. And in the interim, uh, speaking of football and how much it sucks, <laughs> uh, the Super Bowl is in San Francisco, which I don't know if you've heard about San Francisco, but we like protesting and we also have <laughs> El Nino. So oh, yeah. if you are wondering how shitty the Super Bowl is going to be, which is going to contain the Broncos and the Panthers, and I'm my understanding is that the Panthers are going to win. But if you want to see how San Francisco cannot fucking handle this rule, and you guys, we cannot handle it. It's guys, it's already so bad. It's traffic. Everything like traffic was twice as bad as it usually is two weeks ago. Oh like it's God. already been starting. Yeah, well, so I mean, like you know, they're closing some streets, and as uh, Tom Cruise said in his cover in uh, Mission Impossible Three, the ripples are felt for miles and miles. And since we're only seven <laughs> miles long, that means that. Like you get a couple blocks. I live right by the ocean on the opposite side of the Super Bowl is not even in the city. That's the <laughs> other. Say. The Super Bowl is in like freaking Santa Clara. San Jose. Is, well, yeah. it's like it's sort of like, you know, it's just a little bit up from San Jose, but it's like 50 miles away from here. But all of the fucking shit, the Super Bowl city and all the like, we're doing this and the Anheuser-Busch. I'm getting invitations to crazy parties, but that's a whole other thing. But anyway, <laughs> the point of all this is that the uh, website that I write for on the daily basis, SFS.com, we are actively covering the Super Bowl in a critical fashion. And so if you want to see people being mean about football, <laughs> mean about the Super Bowl, I do SFS.com any day of the week and you'll hear us bitching and bitching about it in the way that only San Franciscans can. Hooray! I am not a crack pot. <laughs> Joe. Uh, so I spent the last week uh, catching up on Crazy Ex-Girlfriend, which has sort of been dangling on the precipice of either I'm going to watch it or I'm just going to have to admit that it like passed me by, like I did with Jane the Virgin, where I'm just like, I'm sure it's good. There's just too much of it now, and I can't go back, and we can't – it's just like we cannot bridge this gap, and I'm sorry. <laughs> um, but I'm really glad that I made the decision to catch up with Crazy Ex-Girlfriend this week because I love it. It's so – I find it so incredibly delightful and likable and sort of – uh, it's it's light but sort of in the best way because you definitely still care about the characters and I really like all the musical numbers and it's just sort of it's very conducive to that side of me that just wants something kind of goofy and likable and fun and and yet still compelling I think I mean there's still it's 2016 and there's still no better way to hook somebody on a television show than to give them a love triangle and ask them to pick a team yep. like it's 
just, it's great. And I think technically I want Rebecca to end up with Josh, but I want myself to end up, I want me to end up with Greg. So <laughs> I feel like that's, everybody could win in that situation. Santino Fontana is adorable and yep. is just a fantastic singer. Everybody on that show is so good. Yeah. Tova Feltsch showed up at the, at the, in the last episode and killed it. It's it's great. I yeah. love it so much. I don't know. Am I the only one watching it? No, I feel like you're like the sixth person to come on and pick Crazy Ex-Girlfriend for their Around the Dial. And sometime last <laughs> last year, like around November, I was like, should we just give the show a shot? Not thinking Dave, who hates everything but is not a musicals person, I thought there's no way he's going to hook into this. And even Dave likes it. He hates everything. Even Dave. Who- it's so charming. <laughs> Uh, although I will say this, yeah. the last two episodes, which are, I don't think I've aired yet, no, but we watched, we watched this, the were a little uh, lackluster. They were, although there's one moment in the next week's episode with uh, her boss, the, um, the her boss from the law firm, that's uh, yeah. made me almost fall off the couch that was laughing. Good. Yeah, that was <laughs> so good. good. That was good. He's yeah. he's hilarious, Daryl. Yeah, Daryl something. Daryl something feather. Uh, yeah. Right. I, I'm I'm His- very into it too. <clears throat> His song didn't, about didn't she just win the Golden Globe too. She, she did. did. She did. Yeah. Just- in a barnstorm of musical theater kid loudness, too. She was just sort of like, <laughs> ran up on stage and was just like, blah, I'm a musical theater kid, and then ran off. Yeah, she also did a she did a cover of uh, Sexy Getting Writing song before the Golden Globes that was up, and so it was the <gasps> Sexy Golden Globey song with her and her spanks. It was great. She's delightful. I did not know that. Yep, look it up. <clears throat> I'll try okay, and find well. it for the show notes. Yeah. Um, so if you go to decider.com, you can see me writing about Crazy Ex-Girlfriend at length. I put up something today that was something of a catch-up guide for people getting uh, all back on board for it because it uh, premieres tonight, Monday night, um, I guess last night by the time you're listening to this. And I also did a TV history today on Seinfeld, the episode with Suellen Mischke wearing the bras <laughs> top, which was an OJ callback, which I feel like we're all getting back into the OJ spirit of things. So sure. why not think about that? And then over the weekend, I wrote a TV history about the A-Team because the A-Team's premiere was uh, the anniversary for that was Saturday. Mm-hmm. And I had a really good time watching uh, that early season episodes of uh, – of the A-Team, which is the most wonderfully 80s thing ever. It's the one of those shows that I really watched when I was a kid, and I don't remember anything specific about it except for, like, the theme song and the characters' names. But I was just reading through, like, the episode descriptions from that first season, and it's just, like, Jim Jones cult hijacked airlines. Like, everything that was, like, big in the 80s. And, like, I'm surprised they didn't have one about, like, razor blades and Halloween <laughs> Can't because it's just everything that you were like concerned Cabbage about. Cabbage Patch 19- Kids. <laughs> Seriously, right? It's just so good though, and just and it's amazing. So um yeah, go to decider.com and read my stuff. Around the dial continues Speaking with of, Sarah. Uh, live sport and the things we hate about it. Um <laughs> Can't get away from live commercials during live sporting events like uh, the Carolina game. Go Heels. Uh, Here is my leading, most hateful example. Dave, can we have the sound cue? You do all this research on the perfect car, (laughs) gas mileage, horsepower, torque ratios. Three spreadsheets later, you finally bring home the one. Then smash it into a tree. Your insurance company is all too happy to raise your rates. Maybe... You should have done a little more research on them. For drivers with accident forgiveness, Liberty Mutual won't raise your rates due to your first accident. See car insurance in a whole new light. Liberty Mutual Insurance. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I can hear you Everybody cracking your knuckles. 
<clears throat> I mean, first of all, they're not even the only country, to, uh, country company to have uh, accident forgiveness. But does this company not understand or think we don't understand how car insurance works? <laughs> you don't fucking get rewarded for sucking at driving. <laughs> Fucking spreadsheets have nothing to goddamn do with how good a driver you are. And if you crash your new car into a tree, you suck at driving. You're a danger to other people and trees, and you deserve higher premiums. Does everyone in the driving culture who's over the age of 15 not know that the car depreciates the minute you drive it home and that this is called life and you don't, quote, deserve a completely new car just for existing? This ad is fucking peak entitlement culture, and I'm sorry to go all greatest generation on everyone's ass over here, but the smugness in these ads, what about the food truck guy or girl who got clipped by you, dickhead couple, the lady in which does not own a sports bra? These fucking ads are the fucking worst. I hate them. Die. Okay. Another news. (laughs) I appeared on Pop Culture Happy Hour. Last week, uh, I was really honored to be on to talk about making a murderer, and I did not curse one time. They would have cut it out anyway, but I really didn't curse (laughs) one time. And someone on Twitter commented that I had this total, like, WMSD, Moist FM, Nighttime Drives (laughs) voice going, which is what happens when I'm trying to sound like a grown-up who does not have to swear every two fucking seconds. So that's what that's about. Awesome. It's so good. I was listening to it today. Oh, thanks. Check it out. Uh, We finally caught up on the Netflix series Narcos here at uh, EHG Hawaii HQ. Or as Hugh Bonneville pronounced it on The Late Show with Stephen Colbert, Narcos. (laughs) Narcos. Narcos. Sarah, have you watched the show? I have not. You should watch it. it. You'll like it. it. Uh, it's, uh, you know, obviously it's the story of Pablo Escobar, but it's also like really drug trade processy. Like about you know how they smuggle things, how they make it, where they make it, how they enforce it, all that sort of stuff. But it, and it gets really wonky in the law enforcement side as well because there's like the local cops, there's the state cops, then there's the DEA that's operating in Colombia and under the auspices of the U.S. Embassy plus the CIA. Like it's really complex. Yeah, it's it's really good. Um, you know, the weakest is like the DEA lead, who's sort of like you would think is going to be the lead of the show although it's totally pablo escobar um he's like a bit of a wet blanket of a character it's boyd hallbrook playing steve murphy who i believe is a real guy right and yeah the real guy's in the credits you can see him right yeah um but uh wow i really uh really enjoyed this series um it is strong from start to finish uh it is not over uh, spoiler, that does not conclude at the end <laughs> of season one. Um, and I also really enjoy the fact that this series, which takes place in Colombia, lets all the Spanish speakers speak Spanish yep. throughout the whole series and lets all the English people speak English and everybody gets their own language, mm-hmm. like in the world. What a crazy <laughs> thought. Um, it's kind of rare that you get that, you know, like they'll either just like, well, everybody's English in this world, or they'll do that really annoying thing where they'll speak Spanish for one scene and then suddenly switch into English. Yeah, I mean, which is some... like the most 
enraging choice. Yes. Fuck you, the hunt for Red October, for starting that. Because <laughs> it is just the most annoying thing that you can do in a bilingual uh, piece of entertainment. Yeah, there are obviously scenes where, you know, native Spanish speakers speak English, but like it makes dramatic sense for them to do it. Yeah. Like if they're in a room full of Americans and are pretty sure yeah, none yeah. of them can speak Spanish. But they also shot in Colombia, which so it looks like Colombia. Yeah. Um, instead of looking like Culver City. <laughs> Yeah. And there's like, something about the scenery there. Like it is a beautiful ugliness to like the cityscapes and everything like that they got going there. It's 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 well shot too. It's it's fun. Keep to an look eye at. out for about like in about episode seven or eight, uh someone in the comunas, which I think is like the the sort of tenements that were built by Pablo Escobar for poor people. They have a, a, a like a 60s era picture of John F. Kennedy, except it's a picture of Pablo Escobar made up to look like Jesus with like a bleeding heart and everything, <laughs> except it's super cartoony, like almost verging on side, like, you know. They like dude buggies. <laughs> exactly, like yeah. a carnival caricature that someone did of him <laughs> as Jesus. Yeah. It was just a, such a tiny piece of uh, production design, but it's great. And all the actors are great. Pa- Pedro Pascal from um, Game of Thrones and many many other things is the other DEA guy who's yeah, he's not great. Bo- Boyd Holbrook and yeah. he really uh, is a breath of fresh air in all those scenes because Boyd Holbrook is not likable right to me <laughs> And uh, remember, you can buy ads on this very podcast, plus our sister podcast. Again, with this, Beverly Hills 90210 edition. 50 bucks for a personal ad to wish somebody a happy birthday or tell them they suck. And $100 <laughs> for a business ad. Go to previously.tv slash ads to book yours today. I'm going to do my plug first because my around the dial pick sort of will merge seamlessly into the canon. But uh, my plug is for, again, with this Beverly Hills 90210 edition, our sister podcast that Sarah and I do. We're watching every episode of Beverly Hills 90210 one by one and talking about it and sometimes screaming about it as we will in the next one that goes up, which is all oh, about <laughs> Brandon solving racism again. Again. Um, so, yeah. Race! <laughs> we have a lot of fun. Uh, we've also just added a, a new segment to it because my dear wife, Sarah D. Bunting, bought me the I Hate Brenda book for Christmas. Uh, so we're reading out excerpts of it, hoping to get all the way through it before Brenda leaves the show, which, God, is coming so soon. I'm, I'm already sad about it. <laughs> And my pick for Around the Dial is uh, the last episode of Brooklyn Nine-Nine, which is called Nine Days. Uh, It involves um, Captain Holt and Jake getting quarantined with the mumps. And um, they both get kind of feverish and crazy. And my favorite episodes of Brooklyn Nine-Nine, because they are so rare, are when Holt gets to act weird or crazy. (laughs) That happens a lot (laughs) because he's A, feverish, and then B, like whacked out on cold medicine. And they both get these big goiters from their mumps. And he names his Baltazar. (laughs) And he drinks like a cup of NyQuil and (laughs) Baltazar is a thirsty bitch Um, it's great he's super funny I did a post about it last week that are all like his best moments from the episode which was all of them so uh, check that out Andre Brower getting to be goofy is my favorite thing All right, everybody, it is time for the canon, not the no-knack, like I said on... (laughs) I'm really sorry about that. On uh, social media. Um, (laughs) Awkward. All right, so without further ado, here is Eve with her canon submission. Uh, So today I'm here to talk about uh, uh, Homicide, episode um, seven of the sixth season uh, entitled The Subway. So if you're in... If you're just like feeling sort of depressed, just 
go to the next segment right now because it's it's this is going to be a bummer no matter what. But um, if you feel like you can handle it, let's stick around. Um, this episode is one that I think a lot of people talk about when they uh, talk about homicide and how much they miss it because it is not available on DVD or streaming or anything. An issue that uh, our Sarah ably addressed in a program parole board uh, back in the fall of 2013. Um, I had not changed. I know. God damn it. it. What is it? Is it music rights? Because they could just put shitty music in probably, you know, that's what they did with alias. Anyway, I'm getting off track here. The point is that I had not watched it since 97 um, when I was basically a different human being. I mean, we all were. Um, And so uh, when uh, we talked about what I'm just going to do on the canon this week, I thought, well, I want to do the subway, but first I need to rewatch it and make sure it's okay. And it was better than I remembered, you guys. Um, You know how it starts? I was worried because we open on this uncomfortably 90s acoustic busker (laughs) and um, we're watching this regular white guy kiss his girlfriend goodbye and it all feels very 90s. Uh, he's getting um, on the uh, subway in Baltimore. They call it the Metro there. Um, and in just a few strokes, though, this you see the way he's pushing past people on the escalator and sort of how he looks as he's rushing to make the train. We can tell that he's just a regular guy. He's maybe a little bit of a broish asshole, but not, you know, anyone especially special. But as the train's pulling into the station... Um, I was going to say the unthinkable, but it's not really unthinkable because we've all thought it. Anybody, I think, who lives in an urban area has thought about it for just a second, well, especially after seeing the show. Um, Somehow he trips, and as opposed to just getting run over, which is typically what happens in a situation like this, he's caught at chest level between the train and the platform. Um, The train's behind him, the platform's in front of him, and his arms are just sticking out. It's it's a fucking, fucking nightmare. you know, it, for, and, for visual purposes, it's sort yeah. of like a little more to- torso Kilroy was here. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That's or, Yeah, or, you know, anytime someone's there, you know, talking to a puppet. It's just, yeah, that's that's a great way to describe it, Dave. And um, thank you. Thank you for that oh, sensitive God. depiction. Of <laughs> yeah. You know, another reason that I was sort of not sure if I was going to do this is because it's, I mean, it's a sad and it's an uncomfortable episode. I, I mean, obviously, look, this is what just fucking happened. But I was inspired by Mark Blankenship, who the last time I was on this podcast uh, talked about Six Feet Under. Shit, I am so sorry. No, that's me. Dave. Okay, good. <laughs> I'm glad it wasn't me. Wait, hello? Uh, Vincent D'Onofrio, yes? <laughs> no, yeah. No, that was, yeah. The one time I don't remind you to put your shit on Do Not Disturb. <laughs> How did you age? We don't need to talk about this. But I'm oh, okay. So anyway, what's that? You like I, donuts? Oh yeah, me too. <laughs> <laughs> we all do. Um, but I was inspired by Mark Blankenship, uh, who uh, pitched Six Feet Under uh, the last time I was on the show, and there was something about how he described it that I am not kidding, you guys. Extra hot, great changes lives. He really sort of flipped a switch in me, and while I. Didn't just like, okay, I'm now going to only watch depressing things. There was something that he, about how he explained it, that made me sort of uh, drop all the fear of catharsis and actual like earnest human emotion that I've had with entertainment. So, um, you know, so thank you, Mark. Uh, I'm glad that uh, you talked about that depressing show. And so now I can talk about this depressing show. Um, so anyway, back to D'Onofrio. Uh, you know, the he's there, he's stuck. It's an urban legend we've all heard. Uh, what happens, supposedly, if you get shoved between the subway car and the platform instead of being struck head on is um, 
that you're just sort of smushed and you need to stay there. And that brings us to our first clip. And I don't know, I don't know what happened. It all happened so fast. Somebody pushed me okay, and then sir. I fell. Okay, I'll be right back to take So what do we got? One second, please. Victim is a 37-year-old male. John Lang, L-A-N-G-E. You said victim. He's going to be. He's going to be. It's the word I get from the paramedics. Why do you think I called homicide? So uh, you heard uh, Andre Brower there. He plays uh, Pembleton, one of the uh, detectives from Homicide. The other guy you hear is a bailiff. Um, yeah, you might also recall him from Veronica Mars. Um, those are the homicide detectives who were called to the scene by the transit police. The dying man who, uh, you know, as we already referred, you know, mentioned here, he's uh, Vincent fucking D'Onofrio. Um, and he hasn't been told that he's dying, which makes things somewhat awkward uh, since he is crushed from the, the sort of the chest down. Um, you know, he's being pressed in between the train and uh, the platform, but that's expected to only give him about 30 more minutes of life. Um, Bayless is clearly too uncomfortable to face Lang. Um, I don't know that you actually see him make eye contact with Lang the whole episode. So he sort of opts to investigate what is likely an accident, or is it? Um, and it falls to Pembleton to speak with Lang, as we hear in this next clip. Hey, this is a mystery. Can you tell me what happened? Somebody pushes me. You were pushed. You see him? Hey, pal, huh? Come walking like I do every Friday, every Friday for the last 12 damn years. Uh, I don't know. I get knocked on my ass. Boom. On the blind side. On the blind side. Some dumb nut is falling in front of me. I don't know. All right. This happens in front of you. You don't see who pushed you? I got eyes in the back of my head. I'd be like this. I think it's a bold move to allow Lang to behave like a Yelp elite member whose appetizer arrived cold. Um, (laughs) Around that time, especially, I think, uh, you know, Homicide was up against a show like ER. And, you know, even more recently with shows like House, this victim who we know is going to die and we sort of spend this real time hour with them, because this is this is a thing. This is a thing on a show. This happens. But those people are usually a saint there to teach everyone with a beatific smile and then they bloodlessly sort of depart. But this is not the case here. Lang's combative and angry, um, which is probably how any of us would behave uh, if we had actually managed to live in this situation. And he has that girlfriend, her name's Sarah, who uh, you saw him kiss at the beginning. She's headed out for an hour-long jog, and uh, this is before cell phones. So the only thing the police can do to try to help <clears throat> is send Lewis and Falsone, who is my least favorite homicide character, <laughs> to fruitlessly search for her. Um, uh, yeah, Spoiler, fruitlessly. And they're armed only with a vague description. She's white. She's got brown hair. She's dressed in um, blue. And she's running in this area where basically, like, everybody in Baltimore runs. Um, So they're trying to find the girlfriend. And uh, Lang is just there, um, you know, stuck in the train. And we keep going back to Lewis and Falcone looking for the woman, which takes us to the next clip. Two greatest fears. What, there's a rating system? Yeah, the first one is death. I don't like to think about that, man. Us getting shot at, all that glass flying around, that pop, pop, pop. Now, you don't want to think about that because your brain is tuned to push all that stuff back. Huh? See, the front part of your brain, it pushes all that back into the subconscious. 
And right here, somewhere deep in your brainstem, it, there's, a, there's a time code printed out into a little teeny tiny neuron. Time code. Yeah. When you gonna die? You got blue suit. Where? Oh, she's got blonde hair. We're looking for brown, right? You see, that's what I'm saying, man. That's what I'm saying. It's, it's my eyes, man. I got to get them checked. Damn, man. Last year, there was something wrong with my teeth. This year, I don't know, something's going to act up on my stomach. Next thing you know, I'm going to have ball drop, man. Ball drop? Testicular droopage. Yeah, old age starts to creep up on you, man. Next thing you know, everything goes south. <laughs> so I initially presented their incursion into the plot and all these meandering chatty scenes that they have uh that flip was just representative of some of their bullshitting but as this show went on i sort of grew to welcome them i think it would have been too much to stay in the subway for the whole hour i I think it would have been unbearable um at some point down in the subway though pembleton seems to realize that his role there isn't what he sort of intended it to be. He's not there to figure out how or if Lang knows the man that Bayless is beginning to sniff out might have actually shoved, shoved Lang. He's actually there to usher Lang from this world and into the next. Uh, let's let's hear this next, next clip. What, they're getting ready to take me out? Just sort this stuff out. How are they taking me out? Well, they have to push this train away from the platform, away from you. And... How? That is these kind of airbags. That's what I'm hearing. They're filming airbags already. Yeah, they're, t- they're testing them. <laughs> well, not yet. No, no, no. Okay. A feat of engineering just for me. It's that, but not yet. That fucking kills you when you're watching it. I mean, Denof, like, oh, uh, you know, breaking news. D'Onofrio is a great actor, but that moment for me sort of made the whole episode. Um, but so while Lang and Pembleton are there huddled together, Bayless continues to work his suspect, I think also giving us some sort of necessary why and how to keep us from going insane. So let's listen to this, Dave. This next clip. Where's diversity? Diversity? <laughs> it's a place in Chicago. It's on Belmont and Narragansett Streets. West Side, it's a hospital. They put you in the hospital for this charge. Yeah. They found I wasn't responsible. What? I don't know. It was them saying it, not me. It's supposed to be a place for people who have problems. And I had problems for a while, but now I'm all right. Tell me what the charge was for in Chicago. They say I pushed someone. You pushed somebody. In Chicago. In someone? I don't know. There is a subway in Chicago. I know. They have a big one. The doctors, they said I wasn't... What's the word? Competent. That I didn't know what I was doing, that I wasn't right, that I won't be ever. I've got the papers that'll tell you. Back in my place. Yeah, great. Come on. But the investigation is almost immaterial. Um, you know, at this point, Pembleton is just there sitting against the car. His hand is clasped with Lang's as the firefighters are preparing to pull Lang out from the train. Lang is clearly dying. And um, even though earlier on he couldn't feel anything, now he's actually in pain. So let's listen to this clip. That guy pushed me, didn't he? Trying to figure that out. What do you think he did? Yes. 
I was watching you and your partner talking. I can read people. I'm a salesman, remember? Did I tell you that already? Hey, I don't feel so good. What's going on? What's going on? This is real different than before. I... Blood pressure's I... dropping. Oh, why did he push me? I don't know. Heart rate's dropping. She'll be here. Oh, don't you worry. BP is 80 over 50 and dropping. Keep going. Let's get him out of here. Mr. Lang, where are you at? Mr. Lang, look at me. The leaves on a sugar maple tree when a storm is coming. They'll turn over so the tree can take in the rain. Let's BP is 70 pounds. Move it, you guys, move it. What? My name, they're asking me my name. The name is John Lang. You got him around. Your name oh, is John Lang. Oh, it's not. Hey, guys, face. Watch it, come on. AMC Network's Sundance Now is a premium streaming video service offering a rich selection of prestige dramas, heart-stopping thrillers, and gripping true crime series from around the world. Sundance Now believes that life is more enriching when experienced through perspectives that differ from our own. Why is Sundance Now so awesome? Sundance Now's catalog includes award-winning original content, international exclusives, and hard-to-find properties at a fair price. You get premium content and no commercials for as low as four ninety nine a month with an annual membership. And you can enjoy it anywhere. Sundance Now works on all your favorite devices. Download the app or watch online on Apple and Android devices, Amazon Fire TV, Google Chromecast, Roku, and more. My favorite aspect of Sundance Now is their documentary library. Pop culture investigations like The Cult of J.T. Leroy, The Pussy Riot Doc, and that must-see for Project Runway fans, Bill Cunningham, New York. But the catalog is impressively deep on the true crime front, too. There are lots of films I've covered for my true crime newsletter, but just as many I haven't had a chance to watch yet, and I had to force myself not to start Valentine Road instead of recording this ad, so... Let's get to that promo code so that I can get back to the film, and you can join me free for 30 days. Start streaming your next obsession. To try Sundance Now free for 30 days, go to SundanceNow.com and use promo code EHG. That's S-U-N-D-A-N-C-E-N-O-W.com and use promo code EHG for 30 days of free streaming. Thanks, Sundance Now! Well, it's weird, you know, when I listening to it without, you know, being able to see it, it still it still feels really powerful to me. And I don't always feel that way about TV. I feel like there's something about this episode that makes it almost like a play where um, you could just stage it this way. It could be a radio play and it still would have worked because there's something about the acting that is so evocative that you don't actually need to see any of this weird stuff. But obviously, you know, this is the moment when Lang has died, at least. I mean, I hope that this is when he died. Um, 
given everything that just happened, it feels peaceful, but it's still heartbreaking. And you can see that Pembleton, who, you know, we've seen him go through so much in the last several seasons. He's clearly changed by this in a way he hasn't been changed by other things. So he and Bayless are then heading out of the station when uh, we hear this last clip. That was the last clip. Oh, it was? Yep. Oh, okay. I'm sorry. Well, then in the last clip, I will just, I'll just say it to you. Uh, Pembleton just turns to Bayless in the car and he says, the guy he said to me, I'm okay. And they start the car and drive off. As they drive off, you see Sarah, the girlfriend, completely unaware. She sort of jogs and weaves to the emergency vehicles, um, likely towards their home. And I mean, that's just the last sort of like punch to the gut that you get uh, from all of this sort of stuff, which once again, though, it never feels especially manipulative to me. Of course, any death is manipulative, but I didn't feel played the way, you know, you do with like with old yeller or something. But, you know, that's the episode. Uh, it's all, you know, all in all, it's very simple. It's a very minor little thing. And it, but it's not an easy watch. But just because something's not easy and something's uncomfortable doesn't mean that it's something a bad experience to have and i think that it could actually be good for the soul and if you look on youtube you too could have the same experience like pembleton after watching this episode i do feel a little bit changed i know it won't last tomorrow i'm going to be bitching about commenters and i'm going to be mad because someone left onions in my sandwich but you know for the moment after i watch this i feel a little bit different so anyway that's the subway Sarah, why don't you start since uh, this was a centerpiece of your previously mentioned uh, program parole board piece on it, homicide? Yeah, it was. This this is an interesting um, case because I think sometimes, like Oz, which uh, has the same DNA, homicide, like yeah. the individual parts can be um, annoying and not great, but then the whole um, – really works. And I think the subway is typical of homicide in that way. I, um, you get used to it, but, uh, D'Onofrio, in my opinion, is like just way over the top for two thirds of this episode. Um, I kept writing like little jokes about how, uh, his Robert Gorin would like bend in half at the waist, (laughs) (laughs) uncriminal intent, like to whatever, make up for like the ghost limbs of, uh, the subway. Um, and the dialogue is like very stylized in that sort of way that homicide always had of talking around an issue and sort of poking at a theme and kind of not always letting it go. But the acting often uh, retrieved that from itself. Uh, Brower here, of course, Clark Johnson, always solid. Uh, I hear what you're saying about Falzone. He's another actor that still looks kind of the same. I don't know if you've checked out Chicago, whichever one. Oh, He's that on, hair. PD. God bless the top of that guy's head. That head of yeah. hair is amazing. Yeah. And he, I mean, not a ring or like one, one wrinkle that he like bought at the store. Anyway, <laughs> um, some of the, like some of the acting, you know, it depends on when in the series run you are. And there's, there's always someone that you're like, ugh, this fucking guy. Um, and, but Bayless is also like Bayless as a character is really frustrating, but I've always loved that performance, uh, and thought that it was really, uh, uncompromising and, you know, brave is a little much, but this episode, it's funny because I'm not sure exactly how it came to 
be seen as representative of the series, but I, I think it is like, I think this is probably the, it's most famous episode. I could be wrong about that. Um, but yeah, here's the thing about this episode that might be a barrier to entry for some people is that it is very typical of homicides rhythms and it can take a while to get back into those. Um, but yeah, I, I really liked watching it again. Uh, once I was done with it, even though during it, sometimes I was just like, but I mean, Oz was like that too. Uh, and getting to watch Andre Brower do this and like see him, um, sort of taking control of the emotions of the episode and managing this dialogue that if you give it to anyone else, it's kind of like a mammoth script. Sometimes Mm -hmm. they really have to commit to it or it doesn't work. Um, yeah, I mean, like many homicide episodes, it was sort of a strange experience to to watch it, but then you really have to wonder like, why isn't the show, why isn't the show available? Like what has it just not survived? Uh, yeah, I don't, has it just not translated from its era? I kind of don't get it. Anyway, Dave. Uh, speaking about that era, uh, two things sort of uh, outside of the episode content itself. One is those credits. Remember in the 90s <laughs> where every piece of text oh, yeah. had those to are, move and bounce around the yep. screen and yep. it had to be all grungy and look like it came from Ray Gun magazine? Remember the 90s? <laughs> and also, remember the 90s where this sound was in every uh movie trailer and apparently this episode of homicide <laughs> i do uh funny you say you know it was um you know this it it kind of felt like a mammoth script you know it could have been a mammoth script and it depended on uh the actors to really you know sell it um i did have a note that says oh the man writing of this episode <laughs> it yeah. really yeah. did seem like it was this you know man uh, who enjoys men and talking man stuff, wrote the script. <laughs> um, and that Pembleton sells it, whereas I think Clark and Fazone, I know that's, I just mixed uh, actors and character names there, uh, don't. Like, I felt those scenes fell flat where the subway scenes uh, uh, perhaps didn't, except uh, Vincent D'Onofrio is chewing so much shit in this episode he is just acting the shit out of this dying guy. And uh, to me, it sort of like dipped into uh, a comedy. Like he was just so over the top. Um, and I get the part about him being unlikable and, you know, sort of the payoff not being as easy because of it, you know, because it's not this guy who just saved three burning babies from <laughs> the building. But then again, when the guy saves three building babies from the building and he dies, you're a little sad. Uh, this this one, like, honestly, I didn't care if he lived or died. Um, I found the scenario of the, uh, the accident, or, well, whatever, not the accident, as we found out, but that is like horrifying like this the shot under the train where they basically showed yeah. his Ooh, legs yeah. and that basically his whole bottom half mm. twisted turned the wrong like way like ba- yeah basically a couple of times which is why he wasn't bleeding to death yeah apparently <laughs> i think that's the like like a wet towel logistics of it yes. yeah yeah um 
that was like really disturbing. <sighs> For me, there's two things about this episode I remember before rewatching this after years and years and years and after. One is that image and that sort of like where your mind goes. You know, as soon as you see that, you're like, well, let's see. So if I twisted this way, but just kept on going and then did it again, that would probably really hurt. And the you guys other are missing thing... a little mime show happening. Standing desk for the win in this case. Uh, and the other one is like this concept of these airbags that sit in there and lift up. Like that was like my main takeaway from this episode. The first time I saw it, I was fascinated with this concept of these industrial giant airbags that can move a whole subway train. And uh, I still kind of fascinated uh, after listening to them, but kind of wonder why they don't use them in more applications. You like they're sort of like the inflatable jaws of life, I guess, they're like the pillows of life. Um, that was uh, really interesting. But uh, as I sort of let let on, <laughs> I mistakenly <laughs> thought this was for the no no. <laughs> Is that I just find this whole concept, this whole, it's like such a very special episode of Homicide where this crazy thing happens. Uh, and as much as I love D'Onofrio uh, and all his... Uh, and his D'Onofrionics. And his D'Onofrionics. Uh, I just felt this whole kind of subway thing just ludicrous. I could not get into it in the way that you could. Uh, that is probably a human failing on my part. I will <laughs> cop to that. Heard that I am a... <laughs> what was that? Heard of him. Heard of it. <laughs> uh, you know, uh, my heart is the way, uh, you know, I like my coffee black. Um, so I will cop to that this might be me. And maybe uh, you guys feel differently. Tara? Um, yeah, I agree that it is it, it is written as a play. And I also agree that the Meldrick and Falzone parts feel very inessential until they're not. Um, and to me, the, the, the whole reason that we got those scenes maybe was to set up that last shot that off. Eve described of like seeing, having Sarah run through the scene completely oblivious of what was happening. And the, the writing, it's true. It, 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 the whole, uh, the staging of it feels very old fashioned in a weird way. Like TV is just so different now. <laughs> some of, some of the aspects of it have aged, aged well and some of them haven't. And, you know, the, the monologue speeches between the characters, um, you know, talking past each other or be, you know, feeling like set pieces is not, well, I was going to say that's not how TV is anymore, but of course, true detective. So some TV still is, but, um, <laughs> but I think, Burn. um, the, the, I mean, I assume I stopped after <laughs> season two, episode one, but, um, the, the centerpiece obviously of the episode is, is D'Onofrio and his, his performance and the, the, the turn of his character from, you know, bitter and 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 annoyed more more annoyed than anything else. But when he hasn't figured out that there's no way this ends for him uh, alive, you know, his biggest worry is like, don't let them amputate my legs. Like, mm, okay, we won't cough. <laughs> um, and then you know, sort of the the terror, you know, overtaking him and and finally getting to see his humanity when he's on the verge of death is is terrible and interesting to watch and um, is what makes this episode so strong. And I do think it's, it's, this is like homicides loves labor lost where you sort of, you follow this person 
from yeah, from start totally. to finish yeah. except that that lady was nice <laughs> this guy's kind yeah. of a jerk and it's still okay you know there's it's he's still having a human story even though he might not be that likable to begin with it's watching him expire and the circumstances that that's that under which that happens is still well let me ask you this moving question, from a human perspective yes Dave. <laughs> did you know that Japanese uh, maples leaves. Yeah, they that turn. was corny. That's, I don't like that. Yes, yeah. I can't. I can't defend that. That's that's a corny detail for sure. Oh, me neither. Me neither. And I googled and googled and googled to see does that have some sort of other fucking meaning that I just don't get? Because that was the one thing where I was just like, oh, and then why did he mention it again when he was getting in the car? But yeah. Right. I, you know, I'm with you on for that. Me, that detail is corny, but I think Joe Reed told me that you can tell when a storm is coming because yeah. that breeze turns the leaves up. And yeah, I I've always, always think whenever I'm looking for that, I always think of uh, Mr. Joe Reed. So that yeah. detail is like, huh, interesting that that's in here, but it's still. Corny. Remember me when I'm smushed by a subway train. <laughs> I remember you every day. You don't have to get smushed by a train. All okay, right. good. Hurt. To, Please speaking don't. Of, speaking of Joe, I'll let Joe uh, finish off our, our responses. Uh, so um, I guess first a dispatch from Joe Reed, soap opera appreciation cop, the uh, <laughs> blonde woman who played the EMT, who uh, took the brunt of most of D'Onofrio's abuse, um, used to be on One Life to Live. She was... Officer Andy Harrison. We all hoped she would end up with Antonio, but she didn't. Um, <laughs> and then that was like the last I ever saw of her was like One Life to Live, that episode of Homicide, and then that's it. Um, yeah, Homicide was a show I remember really, really liking a lot, and yet I don't think I've seen all the episodes. I hadn't seen this episode till then. I think it's part of it that it didn't rerun much. It doesn't rerun well because it's not like Law & Order where you can and just sort of like dip in and out like easy breezy or whatever. Um, and then because it's not streaming. So it feels like more of an artifact than a lot yeah. of shows that were mm -hmm. probably contemporaries with it, um, which is interesting. I think to Sarah's point about whether this is a representative episode, sort of to Dave's point too, because like I feel like Homicide, a representative episode of Homicide kind of is these sort of very special episodes because they did them a lot and they got like a lot of attention for them. I'm thinking of like the Robin Williams episode where he's uh -huh. sure. that really sort of like creepy guy or whatever. Um, and I feel like I really did like this episode, but I also, it made me want to watch an episode with all the characters because it really is just such a small section where it's just like, Oh, but like Melissa Leo was on the show and Michelle Forbes and, and the captain and that whole, you know, and not Max Perlick, but like everybody else I really liked. <laughs> um, so, but like this episode specifically, I feel like they did a lot of these kind of episodes that were sort of flashy for their structure. There was a lot of 90s-ness to this episode. I think that's uh, a lot of what Lewis and, uh, and Falcone's scenes were, were that sort of post-pulp fiction when everything had to be bantery. Like <laughs> yeah. every two partners had to be very bantery. Yeah. And I think it's like True Detectives sort of brought that back a little bit with a different little bit of a different tone. But also I think just sort of like the visuals where like TV didn't realize that they could be, that it could be good without being sort of like, we're just going to throw a lot of stuff at you. And it was just sort of like camera angles and slow-mo and, and sort of graininess and that kind of thing. Just yeah, as the a slow-mo at the end was, uh, I felt there were a lot like of indicators drops. It just looked so amateurish. Ooh. Yeah. Yeah. It was nice. Once TV realized it could be good just by being good. Yeah. Um, <laughs> 
I, I hate like, that camera stuff so much. I complain about it every time I see it. It's sort of like the same thing as when they put like a camera on the ground and then like a car goes through water and it splashes on the lens. Like, why would you do that? Yeah. Why would you intentionally bring me out of the moment, out of your world and make me realize that uh, you are, yeah, I'm watching a camera's eye. Like, I don't it's get like it. It's like blood, blood splattering on a lens. Please it's, subscribe to cool Dave's one. Lens Flare podcast, because I got to hear <laughs> uh, about <laughs> 30 minutes of it after Dave saw The Force Awakens the second time with It's me. important. I know, dear. Anyways, sorry, Joe, but that was <laughs> no, important. No, it's okay. Yeah. Um, but it's funny, because I feel like a show like Homicide was one of those shows that helped TV be more respected for its quality. So I think it's interesting that way. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. I will always remember... Uh, the movie signs for those flashback scenes with Cherry Jones where Mel Gibson's wife is pinned to the tree and it's this same situation where it's just like she's only being kept alive because the car like the pressure from the car is keeping her internal organs together and once they pull it away she's going to die instantly and like that has become such an elemental like tapped into like these elemental fears of mine was just sort of like not only that you're going to die but that you know you're going to die and that you know that it's coming and that your rescue is the instrument of your you know demise basically as soon as a1 towing shows up i feel like this happened to (laughs) one person like at 33rd and lexington avenue and then every single tv writer read it filtered into the into the psyche of uh, of writers everywhere yeah um but i really like liked how the episode sort of touched on all quadrants where it was the stuff with D'Onofrio and then the stuff with the guy who pushed him. I would have liked if that had sort of stayed a little bit more open-ended because I thought they did such a good job at the early part of the episode with that the chaos of the subway and how, like, who's to know what happened because everything was moving so fast and everybody's perspectives are different. And I didn't love that they seemed to come to such a definite conclusion by the end um i mean i guess it's possible that like he's you know crazy he doesn't know what he did but like even that i like the fact that it was just sort of like the chaos of you know everybody sort of paying attention to their own deal is what happened is you know what was to blame um yeah i remembered it i remembered the story going the other way that that they we never find out what happens but obviously that's not yeah i i had forgotten that element of it too but uh, this was good casting and bruce mc uh mcvitty mighty vitty let's call the whole thing off um is always good has been on a bunch of law and orders and he's in one of my favorite episodes yeah Yeah. Um, I think D'Onofrio wasn't as much of a problem for me because I've come to expect this from him. So it wasn't so jarring. And I think Brower was actually a really good match for him in the way that their styles sort of match up. I think Brower for, you know, he's one of my favorite actors too, but like he can definitely go big and he could definitely go big as Pembleton. It's funny that they kept bringing up his stroke because I think that was one of the, that scene where he has the stroke. I remember like to this day, just sort of just like, it was this, you know, Titanic feat of acting um, in many ways. I think that was the season that he won the Emmy for homicide, if I'm not mistaken. Um, But I liked how that storyline fit into here where Pembleton now is grappling with, the you know how close he came to the precipice of dying with what's happening with D'Onofrio's character he's really really good in this Mm -hmm. um Kyle Secor Secor is also really good in this I think Sarah's right that the character could be very frustratingly sort of uh 
opaque at times and but the performance really believable yeah 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 Yeah, i liked it so um yeah this brought me really back into homicide i really think it all did come together for me um but i do i would like to say that anybody out there who wants to submit another episode of homicide with you know more of a complete canvas of the entire show i would love to watch that and evaluate that for this purpose as well all right. Sounds like it's time for the vote. Tara Ariano, how about you? I vote yay. And Sarah D. Bunting? I will also vote yay. Joe Reed? Yay. Dave Cole says, but it doesn't matter <laughs> because... Spoiler! <laughs> Homicide, Life on the Streets, Season 6, Episode 7, The Subway. You are hereby inducted into the Extra Hot Great Camp. Americans love a winner. Yeah. And will not tolerate a loser. No. It is time for winner and a loser of the week. Tara has a winner. I do. The winner is Brita Wool. Um, she's an actress who, on the first season of Unreal, played Faith, the uh, Christian girl from the South who is also a closeted lesbian. Uh, she is getting a spinoff all about her character, which I'm excited <gasps> to watch. She oh. was the best. Um, she was so funny on that show. I got to interview her last week or last year, and she was great. And um, also to tie it in with today's canon, uh, we have an interview going up as you hear this on on Tuesday, so a few hours after this drops, with Barry Levinson, who was an executive producer on Homicide and is also on Killing Fields. And our Leanne Bonin star who interviewed him asked uh, what shows he's watching now, and he said Unreal, which I think is hilarious. <laughs> I just love the, the, the image of Barry Levinson kicking back and... Uh, Watching some bitches have cat fights on like time. <laughs> nice. It's a great show. Uh, Tara, would you say that uh, people are wool come for that little tidbit? Yes. Yeah. It's very wool. Uh, <laughs> loser of the week is John Ham, J O H N. Well, he's the winner. The loser of the week is John Ham without an H. H A M M. If you're going to misspell John Hamm on the Golden Globe Award, you think it would be H A M that uh, would be the main candidate, but no, they misspelled his first name, John Hamm. Uh, but uh, on the plus side, it's like the upside down stamp. It's like super collectible now. <laughs> and he has the only one. That brings up an interesting question, which oh, is this. Yes. Do you know what time it is? Ham stamp time. Ham. <laughs> it's game time. All right, everybody. It is game time. This is the 10th game time of the season. Our standings are Joe Reed with four points. Tara Ariana with three points. Value guess with two points. Sarah still looking to get on the board. Present. (laughs) (laughs) Today we are playing Haven't We Met Before from John Potts, Mm. who earns himself an extra credit redeemable for an extra hot great mini topic of his choosing haven't we met before we'll challenge your knowledge of not only tv characters and shows but connections between actors i will give you the names of two characters from two different tv shows Mm -hmm. you tell me the common show that featured the actors who played those two characters okay let's do it with an example for example when tony bladetto met daredevil 
And I'll walk you through that one. Steve Buscemi as Tony Bledetto on The Sopranos. Owen Slater as Matt Murdock on Daredevil. Together, Boardwalk Empire. Empire. That's how the game is played. Christ. (laughs) (laughs) Very confident from the valued guest department. (laughs) (laughs) I will take mercy on you and I will introduce a hint system. And the hints, uh, I'm going to give three points for a out-of-the-gate answer. Okay. And I'm going to give you a whole bunch of information if you ask for a hint, after which the answer is going to be worth one point. Okay. Okay, so that hint will cost you two points. Okay. All right? Yep. Are we ready to play Haven't We Met Before? Yes, sir. All right, Vicky. We will start with Tara. All right. Okay. Here we go. Tara Iriano. Yep. You are first. What is our order? Tara. Yep. Joe. Right. Eve. Uh Uh-huh. Sarah. Okay. D.B. Russell, Russell, Jadzia Dax. Mm. Now, you're welcome to talk it through for the benefit of our home listeners. D.B. Russell, you know who that is? Nope. Do you know who... uh, Jadzia Dax is from some sci-fi show, but I don't know what, so I'm going to take my... uh, I'll I'll subtract the two points for me. D.B. Russell from CSI, played by Ted Danson. Uh Uh-huh. Jadzia Dax, Star Trek, Deep Space Nine, played by Terry Farrell. What's the common show? Um, I'm going to guess Becker. Becker is okay. correct for one point. Didn't okay. start off easy. Nope. Questions have been randomized. Okay. Joe, Felicity yes. Porter, Kevin Walker. Uh, Felicity Porter, Kevin Walker. So their combined show is The Americans. Correct. Felicity obviously is Felicity. And uh, Kevin Walker from Brothers and Sisters. Yep. White Wine Sisters. <laughs> Eve. Thomas yes. Carcetti. Margaret L. Hazari. Uh, Game of Thrones? Correct. Nice. That is uh, Mayor Carcetti from The Wire. And Live Another Day 24's Live Another Day's uh, Michelle Fairley. Sarah D. Bunting. Yeah. Kendall Casablancas. Agent Seely Booth. Oh, Kendall. And please, if you know the answer, if you know the interim information, please provide it. <laughs> um, Kendall Casablancas uh, is Charisma Carpenter on Veronica Mars. Seely Booth is uh, Chicken Phobe Boreanis. Uh, <laughs> yeah. And their common show was, well, they're two, actually, yep. technically. I assume you mean Angel, could also be Buffy. Could also be both. Nice. Yeah, could be either or. So nice. we'll give you the point and a date point okay. for filling in that information. All right, back to Tara. Captain Benjamin Pierce and ADA Miguel Pedro. Pedro. Uh, Pedro? Pedro. Benjamin Pierce is Alan Alda, but I don't. Oh, wait. Okay, I'm going to... Talking, talking through it, I'm going to get... Mm, well, wait, no. I was thinking it was Bobby from NYPD Bloom. That's not it. Um, hint, please. Okay. Uh, Captain Benjamin Pierce, MASH, Alan Alda. Yep. ADA Miguel Padro. Uh-huh. Pedro. Uh-huh. Dexter, Jimmy Smith. Oh, it is oh. Jimmy Smith. Fucking hell. Um, the show they were both on is The West Wing. You are correct, Joe. Dr. Elliot Reed, Leonard Hofstadler. Okay, Dr. Elliot Reed was Sarah Chalk on Scrubs. What's the other name? Leonard Hofstadler. 
Stad Stad Tur. Sure. Oh, okay. I think that's Johnny Galecki on Big Bang Theory, so that would be Roseanne. Correct. Eve, Martin Bohm, Christina Fry. E O H M. Uh, hit please. All right, Martin Bohm, touch Kiefer Sutherland, Christina Fry, the mentalist, Leslie Hope. Oh, sorry. Uh, well, here's my advice. Okay. Take a guess. <laughs> How many yes. shows have Keith or Sutherland been in? <laughs> the only show I can think of is fucking 24. You already said that. Wait, oh, it's the same thing? No, 24 has not been an answer yet. 24 oh. has been information, but not an answer. Oh, okay. Yeah. I All thought right. it had to be a different show than in the... Okay, I got it. It is. She's, touch. She said touch. Keith of the Sutherland. Oh, okay. Mentalist. Touch. Leslie Hope. Sarah D. Bunting... Logan Eyes Only Kale and Agent Simon Donovan. Now I'm gonna say Kale, could be Callie. Um jeez. I feel like this is just out of reach, but I will need a hint, please. Logan Kale, Dark Angel, Michael Weatherly, and West Wing, Mark Harmon. <laughs> oh, <laughs> Navally! <laughs> NCIS. Correct. Tara Ariano. Yeah. Nurse Carol Hathaway. Right. Marianne Thorpe. Um, I'm just going to guess it's the good wife. Correct. I don't know who Marianne Thorpe is. Sybil. Christine Baranski. Oh, okay. Okay. Joe Reed. Rob yes. Hallbrook. Uh, Blossom Russo. Blom- Russo, awesome. Russo was Blossom, was Mayim Bialik on Blossom. The only other show I can think of her on is The Big Bang Theory. Correct. Judging Amy, Jim Parsons was Rob. Oh, there we go. Okay. Eve, Carrie Agos, Beth Dawes, D A W E S. Um. Well, so Carrie's only been on two other shows that I can think of, and that's. The OC and Veronica Mars. Beth Dawes sounds like an OC kind of person name, so I'm just going to guess the OC. Mm. Shit. Carrie Agos is from Good Wife. Okay. And Beth Dawes is Mad Men, played by Alex Bedell, together in Gilmore Girls. Ah. Ah. Uh, that was Matt Shukri. Shukri. Yeah. You know, you put a little shukri on your Hungarian goulash. And, Mwah! When it's about to rain, his uh, leaves turn toward the uh, sky. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Ooh. <laughs> All right, Sarah. Ian Mitchell, Colonel Glenn Tabbitt. Talbot. There's an L in there. Chosen, and that's our good friend Milo Ventimigaragalaga. Uh, uh-huh. um, and... Uh, uh, sorry, uh, Colonel Glenn uh, Talbot is from Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., and that's Adrian Pazdar. Pazdar, yes, thank you. Oh, um, Heroes, the original one. Yeah. So, <laughs> there's so much information in this that uh, my font is uh, nine points, <laughs> so sometimes L's uh, disappear. Tara. Yes, sir. Nate Fisher. Uh-huh. Lynette Scavo. Um, Sports Night. And... That's Peter Krause from Six Feet Under and Felicity Huffman from Desperate Housewives. That's right. 
Joe Reed, Paul Stevens, Phyllis Kroll. How do we spell Kroll? K-R-O-L-L. Paul Stevens, Phyllis Kroll. This is a problem because I don't recognize either of those (laughs) names. So I'm going to need a hint. All right. This hint will make it very obvious. Uh, Paul Stevens was from Friends, played by Bruce Willis. Phyllis Kroll, the L world. L word played by Sybil Shepard. Sure, so that would be Moonlighting. That is correct. All right, Eve. Mike Crestiva. Crestiva? Sure. Yeah, that's right. Dr. Taylor Maddox are your two characters. Um, a hint, please. Uh, Mike is Matthew Perry from The Good Wife. Dr. Taylor Maddox is Courtney Cox from Scrubs. Oh, is this friends? Yeah, friends. Yeah. Bring <laughs> us into our first score break, Sarah D. Bunting, Cersei Lannister, Skylar Adams. Skylar Adams. Uh, I will need a hint. All right. Game of Thrones, Lena Headley, oh. Hetty. Hetty. Alpha's Summer Glau. Summer Glau. Wow. Lena Hetty. Um. Do you know any the other show sh- that hates me? Firefly? <laughs> oh, very close. Good guess. It is sci-fi. Does not take place in space. It's also on Fox. Terminator, the Sarah Crona- Connor Chronicles. Oh. <laughs> Chronicles. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's hear the scores here. That was question 16 of... A bunch. Okay. Oh, boy. Eve and Sarah are tied with five each. I have eight. Joe has ten. Okay. Tari oh, Ariano, oh. starting us off in round two. Yep. Billy Chase, mm-hmm. Aaron Hotchner. Oh, God. <laughs> Billy Ch- Hint. Accidentally on purpose, Jenna Elfman. Fuck off. Criminal Mind, yes. Thomas Gibson. <laughs> um, Darman Greg. Correct. Joe Reed. Uh, Kona Kalu. Oh, God. I, I live in uh, Hawaii, and I just totally fucked that up. Kona. <laughs> you took a Hawaiian class. I know, but I, but let's, I might have left before it was done. Well, I wasn't going to say I that I fell behind. <laughs> Kona, Cal, La, Ku, Ow, and Sinclair. Sinclair? Yeah. Just okay. simply Sinclair. Uh, Star Kona, of simply Kona Sinclair. K-O-N. A, yeah, uh, yeah, Kono, uh, K-O-N-O. Look, I'm not here oh, to give you sorry. any hints, but let's be real. How many shows have people with Hawaiian names on them? Just saying. Massive hint. I don't know that that's a hint. Joe, I might be wrong. I think you should say to Tara, <laughs> mahalo. It's true, but also I have nowhere to go, like no direction to go with that, so I'm going to need a hint. Okay, Hawaii Five-0. Oh, right. sorry. That's what I thought it was. Who was the actor, though? Wait, what did you think it was? I don't know. I thought it was that. But I, I realize now how wrong I was. Go ahead. Give Joe his hand. All right. Kono is from Hawaii Five O. Sinclair is... Oh, sorry. That's Grace Park from uh, Hawaii Five O. Okay. Uh, Sinclair is Alexandro Giuliani from The 100. Okay. I'm going to assume that <laughs> the only other I think Grace Giuliani. There's no other eye in there. Battlestar Galactica? Yeah. Correct. That's uh, Sharon uh, Boomer and uh, right. Felix... Uh, oh, Gata. Yep. Okay. <sighs> <laughs> Poor Dave. 
Dr. E. Payton, Arthur Mitchell. Hello? Eve? Oh, I'm sorry. I thought this was Joe. Um, no, Joe just answered. Sorry about that. Yeah, hit please. ER, Dr. Eve Payton is Kristen Johnson from ER. Arthur Mitchell is John Lithgow from Dexter. Oh, Third Rock from the Sun. You are correct. Sarah D. Bunting, Deanna Beers, Bears, Beers, B-I-E-R-S, and Sam Axe. Two possible answers. To let you know how long this uh, game has been in my hopper. It was originally uh, uh, supposed to be a Valentine's game because there's a lot of couples in here from last year. But I'm just giving you a big clue that since last year, there's been a second show that could be an answer to this one. Interesting. Yeah. Does not help. Hint, please. All right. Uh, Deanna's from Battlestar Galactica, played by Lucy Lawless. Sam Axe is from Burn Notice, played by Bruce Campbell. Two shows here. Uh, 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 um, two shows? Now, keep in mind. You only need to name one. Lucy Lawless hasn't been in a lot of TV shows as a regular, and we've limited a Battlestar Galactica. <laughs> I mean, would he really have been on Xena? You know what? I'm going to guess it because I don't remember the exact name of the other one. Xena, Warrior Princess. Correct. <laughs> there we go. That was Sam Raimi who, uh, right. yeah, who did uh, Evil Dead with him. But the uh, other one is Ash vs. Evil Dead. Ash vs. Evil Dead. Thank Correct. you. <laughs> Tar Ariano Senator David Palmer, uh-huh. Cabe Gallo. Uh-huh. David, oh, David Palmer is Dave, Dennis Haysbert. From? From 24. Gabe, what? Ca- uh, Cabe, Cabe Gallo. Gallo. Is she going to take a guess or is she going to need I'm a I'm trying hint? to remember what the name of that show he did with David, Ma- that David Mamet show. I can't remember what it's called. I don't know. Hint. All right. Well, it's not going to help it's you. It's not going to help? If you Who's don't the know the person? name of the show, but okay. here we go. Scorpion Robert Patrick is Cabe Gallo. Yeah, I am right about the show. I just don't remember what it's called. Also with like one of the Felicity dudes, right? Yeah, Scott Foley was in it too. The Unit. The Unit! (laughs) It was either that or E-Ring. Also really disgusting. (laughs) Both of those. I hate it when the Unit gets into the (laughs) E-Ring. Or do you love it? Or do I love it? Exactly. All right, Joe. (laughs) Put on your seatbelt. No idea how to say this. Gonna take a stab at it. Nimu. N I M U E. I think it's Nimui or something. Nimui, like yeah, that. yeah. Uh, Vic Moretti. Huh. Yeah. Vic Moretti. Oh, was that the guy from The Shield or was that. The Shield. The Shield! I'm just going to ask for a hint. Okay. Uh. The end, the new, new me. <laughs> yes. Is uh, Michelle Ryan from Merlin. And Vic God. is, this is where I threw you, Katie Haskoff from Longmire. Katie Sackoff? Sackoff. What did I say? Hassoff? I don't know what you said. <laughs> Katie Sackoff. Hats off. Hats off to Sackoff, as we say here on the game. <laughs> okay. Okay. Michelle Ryan and Katie Sackoff. Okay, and we've already used Battlestar Galactica for an answer. Our shows shows are not in here more than once. Correct. Uh, okay. 
I'm gonna guess Bionic Woman. Nice. Hey. <laughs> wow. That was well done. Eve, Dr. Nicholas Rush, Dr. Allison Cameron. This is really making me realize how many fucking doctor shows there are. Um, may I have a hint, please? All right. Dr. Nicholas Rush, Stargate Universe. Oh, Christ. Uh-huh. Played, played by Robert Carlyle, whose name you may recognize. I do. Dr. Allison Cameron, Jennifer Morrison from House. Once Upon a Time. You are correct. See? Nice. Sarah D. Bunting, Gary Hobson, Nikki Faber. Faber? Yeah, F-A-B-E-R. Faber. Probably yeah. Faber, but it Probably. doesn't really matter. Hint. Early edition with Kyle Chandler in the role and Connie Britton from Spin City. <laughs> hmm. Yeah, I always forget she had a whole thing. Um, this would be Friday Night Lights. You are correct. Yep. Robert Terwilliger, mm-hmm. Frank Prady. Frazier. <laughs> That's through. Kelsey Grammer is Bob Terwilliger from The Simpsons. Joe Frank Bob. Brady is David Hyde Pierce from The Good Wife. Correct. Joe, Catherine yes. Mayfair, Seven of Nine. Oh my God. Okay. Catherine Mayfair was Dana Delaney on Desperate Housewives. Seven of Nine was Jerry Ryan on one of the Star Treks. And I watched this show from my office at ABC passively for like three years because it lasted way longer than you would think. And I'm stalling because I can't remember the title of it. <laughs> and it it's, Joe, I'm uh, impressed you got this far. Really. I am too. Body of Proof. Body of Proof. It was called Body, Body of Proof. Proof. Hey! Three points. <laughs> well done. All right, Eve. Uh, Hannah... Congratulations on being the last human alive to yep. remember Body of Proof. Yep, exactly. <laughs> Hannah Gittleman. G-I-T-E-L-M-A-N. Captain Malcolm Reynolds. All right, so Captain Malcolm Reynolds is Nathan Fillion from Firefly. Catherine Gittleson. I don't know. I'm just going to guess Castle. Good guess. That is a good guess. Yeah. Uh, Heroes is where uh, Stanakatic is from. Oh. Okay. For Sarah, Christine Purcell, Dr. Preston Burke. Gonna want a hint on that one? Uh, yes, please. All right, Christine Purcell, Damages, played by Paige Turco, and Dr. Preston Burke, Grey's Anatomy, Isaiah Washington. What were they in together? They were in the 100 together. They sure were. were. Space! (laughs) (laughs) Finally, space is paying off. Tara Ariano, Dr. Max Bergman, Uh Emma Pillsbury. Bread in a can? It'll never work, Pillsbury. (laughs) Okay, Emma Pillsbury is uh, Jama Mays from Glee. And who was the other person? Dr. Max Bergman. Max Bergman. <sighs> I don't know what other show she was on, so I, I, but I don't know. Give me the hint, I guess. Uh, you know what? What? This is a repeat show, so keep that in mind. All right. Yep. In that case, is it Heroes? It is. Well, I was going to take the hint anyway, so... I will only count myself one for that because that would be fair. You didn't get any hints. You didn't. Well, no, that's a three pointer. All right. No, because that was new information that you needed. Okay. Because if you didn't know that heroes could be in twice, you wouldn't have guessed it. Okay. All right. Dave, you're so generous. Thank you. 
Move on. <laughs> Jesus. Gemma right. Teller Morrow, J. Pritchett. Oh, okay. Gemma Teller Morrow is Katie Seagal on Sons of Anarchy. Jay Pritchett is Ed O'Neill on Modern Family, so they were married with children. You are correct. Eve, Mike Baxter, Sheila Brooks. Baxter. Uh, hint, please. Last Man Standing, Tim Allen, The West Wing, Patricia Richardson. Oh, so, um... It's not called Tool Time. That's the show that he had. I know, right? So there's the neighbor you never see, and Tim Allen's there, and... Oh, motherfucker. Home Improvement is the title you were searching for. Thank you. Thank you. All right, Sarah, bring us into our second score break. Samantha Maselli, Brenda Walsh. Aw. Oh, shit. Okay, Samantha Maselli is, um, uh, what's her nuts? Bugliari. Uh, Alyssa Milano, on who's the boss, and, uh, move it along. We'll see you. Yeah, it hurts, doesn't it? <laughs> Can you repeat the other name for me? Because no. I just blanked. <laughs> Brenda Walsh. Oh, Brenda Walsh. Brenda Walsh from Beverly Hills 90210, played by Shannon Doherty. What were they on together? There's like two choices, and I really I don't like either of them. No, it's probably I don't a- think it was Little House, the new class. Um, no. Oh, Jesus, I'm an idiot. Charmed. Oh, thank God. I was like having a heart attack. I was freaking out. Sorry. (laughs) All right. Eve has 10. Sarah has 11. I have 15. Joe has 18. All right. Some catching up to do. Or Joe's going to take the season. Tara. Yeah. Nick Fallon. Uh Uh-huh. Veronica Donovan. Hint. The Guardian, Simon Baker, Prison Break, Robin Tunney. Uh, the Mentalist. You are correct, Joe. Elaine Vassal. Ted Goodwin. All right. Elaine Vassal, I believe, is Jane Krakowski. What's the other? Uh, Jane Krakowski from Ally McBeal. What's the other name? Ted Goodwin. Ted Goodwin. Correct. Joe's doing some math in his head. I am. Well, I'm trying, wanted... like, okay, so Krakowski's got two options, really. Um, I'm just going to guess 30 Rock. Nice. Ted Goodwin is Jack McBrayer from the middle. Oh, right, of oh. course. Eve, Captain Jonathan Archer, and Brother Cavill. Uh, hint, please. Star Trek Enterprise, Scott Bakula. <laughs> <laughs> Blah. Quantum. And... Uh, Battlestar Galactica, Dean Stockwell. Oh, Quantum Leap. Yeah. Correct. Charlie Cruz, Anna. No surname on Anna. For Sarah. Charlie Cruz and Anna. How are we spelling Cruz and Anna? Cruz, like, uh, uh, um. Dead. Like backstage crew. Oh, C-R-E. Oh, like Terry. C-R-E-W-S. Yes. Well, a W. Terry, Ted, or Tom. Um, hint. Life with Damian Lewis, V with uh, Morena Baccarat. Baccarat. <laughs> um, Holland. You are correct. We have those red chairs. 
Todd Ariano. Yes. Maxine Gray, Madeline Weston. Um, Cagney and Lacey. Show your work. Maxine Gray is Tyne Daly from Judging Amy. The other one is Sharon Glass from Burn Notice. That is correct. Joe Reed, Lieutenant Joe Abner, and Mike Damone. Or perhaps Damone. D-A-M-O-N-E. And it's Joe is Boy Joe or Girl Joe? Uh, Boy Joe. (laughs) Um, I'm going to need a hint. NYPD Blue, played by James Pickens Jr., Fast Times, Patrick Dempsey. Two answers here, Joe. Oh, interesting. Um, Well, the one I know is Grey's Anatomy. So what do you think the other one is based on that? Um... Take a guess. I don't. I don't. X Files? No. Private they practice. both have private practice. Oh. Yeah. Oh, Joy. Joe Danville. Nope. Oh, this is for Eve. This is for Eve. Joe Danville. That's girl Joe. Luke Fuller. Joe Danville and Luke Fuller. Um. Hit please. Uh. Just lost my place. CSI New York. Seal Award. Dynasty. Billy Campbell. Uh, sisters. Sisters? Mm. Shit. Once, once and again. again. Once oh. again. No one talks about that show anymore. Do it you was so that? good. Sure. It was a good show. Sarah. It was like on reruns on Lifetime for like a year. Anyway, sorry. Yeah. Sorry. Lieutenant Reg Barkley, Starbuck. Lieutenant Reg Barkley and Starbucks. Starbucks. I just said Starbucks. 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 <laughs> Singular. Yeah. Starring the coffee shop. Lieutenant Charles Barkley. <laughs> Space Jam. Can I have a hint, please? All right. Uh, Reg is Star Trek Next Generation, Dwight, Schwul- Dwight Schultz, Battlestar Galactica, Starbucks, Dirk Benedict. Oh, fuck. The A team. Yeah, correct. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Space. Dr. Quincy, Tara Ariano. Yeah. Sydney Shore. Uh, the odd couple. Quincy from? Quincy, Emmy. And what? Sydney Shore from what? Love Sydney wow, or something like that? Wow, holy shit. How did, Whoa, what day nice. point for wow. that one, Tara? Mm. <laughs> Joe, Mason McGuire, Laura Diamond. Mason McGuire, Laura, Laura Diamond. Diamond. It. Trust me with Eric McCormick and the mysteries of Laura with Deborah Messing. There we go. Uh, Will and Grace. Will and Grace is correct. Eve, Martha Bullock, and Hal. A <laughs> hmm. uh, hint, please. Deadwood and a gun. Malcolm in the middle. Brian Cranston. Uh, um, uh, Breaking Bad. You are correct. Sarah D. Bunting. Nick Andopoulos. And Trina Eccles. Trina? Trina? Trina. Trina. Yeah. Um, Nick Antopoulos is uh, Seagull from Freaks and Geeks. And then uh, Trina is Allison Hannigan from Veronica Mars. And together, I believe, they were in How We Met Your Mother. You are correct. All right. Everybody's got one question left, so let's okay. hear the scores. Okay. <laughs> All right. Hi. Eve has 12 points. Sarah has 16 points. I have... 22, Joe has 23. Oh, okay. <laughs> so there's a lot on the table here, Tara. Yep. 
Mm. All right. Should Eve and I just go first? Cause okay. <laughs> sure. Eve. <laughs> oh, Dave. Yes. What? No. Uh, Sarah has an eye for the dramatic. That's true. I, I sign off on this. She does. Yeah, yeah. me too. So everybody tells Tara to, you know, stuff it. Lieutenant Simon Adams, this is for Eve. Lieutenant Simon Adams, Dr. Helen Magnus. Uh, Hint, please. Emerald Point, remember that show? With Richard Dean Anderson, but you know him. (laughs) That was Sanctuary, Amanda Tapping. Uh, MacGyver? Stargate SG 1. Oh, Oh, yeah. I take it as one pride that I got that wrong. That show is Shield. Is the shield levels of yes. the space shield? If the shield had like it. seven spinoffs, <laughs> yeah. it's like it's fucking psych. The shield and, yep. and, and the Stargate. Stargatery. We are not doing it, <laughs> Sarah. Yep. Susan Meyer, Mayer, M A Y E R. Yep. Casey Manning. Susan Meyer and. Manning. Manning. Oh, it's going to make me mad, but I need a hint. All right. You'll get it, though. Desperate Housewives, Terry Thatcher, Las nope. Vegas. Terry Hatcher. Thatcher. Hatcher. Thatcher. <laughs> Mrs. Thatcher. <laughs> the Iron Lady herself, Terry Thatcher. <laughs> and they're spectacular. Moving on. <laughs> Las Vegas. Dean King. <laughs> oh, the adventures of Lois and Reek. <laughs> Clark. If only. Lois and Clark <laughs> is fine. Yeah. Uh, all right. Tara. Yeah. Amanda Woodward. Right. Alex P. Keaton. Um, that's Heather Locklear from Melrose Place and Michael J. Fox from Spin City. And no, uh, Michael J. Fox from Family Ties and together they were on Spin City. Good for three points. All right, so that means you're now two points yeah. ahead of Joe. Oh, my God. So, Joe, you got to go for it. Yep. I got to go for it. Alex Grayson. Marjorie Tyrell. Mar- Marjorie? I think that's right. Yeah. M-A-R-G. Okay. I only know one of these. Marjorie Tyrell is Natalie Dormer. From Game of Thrones, we are all now. The only other show I know answer. of with with Natalie Dormer um, is the Tudors. So my guess is the Tudors. Did Joe get the answer right? Did Joe know? For God's sake, that Alex <laughs> Grayson Moving <along>. was <laughs> Dracula. Oh, Yay! <laughs> Takes the season. Joe. Oh, good job, Joe. Good job, Me Joe. Too. That is it for another episode of Extra Hot Great. The X Files revival is out there, and we probe the question of whether or not it left us feeling oh, alienated <laughs> before handing it off to Liv for her face-off report and Sarah for our Bonnie and Clyde Blotter presents. We went around the dials with stops at Blackish, Crazy Ex-Girlfriend, Carads, Narcos, and Brooklyn Nine-Nine. Eve's cannon pitch for Homicide, Life on the Streets, The Subway, arrived at the station on time. (laughs) 
We crowned winners and losers of the week. And Joe was the winner of this week's game time and this season. Congratulations, Joe. Joe. Remember. We're listening. I am David T. Cole. And on behalf of Tara Ariano. See you at Our Lady of Perpetual Sorrows. Sarah D. Bunting. Space. Joe Reed. (laughs) That's Covina. And Eve Baby. I'm not crazy. It's really a conspiracy this time, you guys. Thanks for listening, everybody. We'll see you next time right here on Extra Hot Great. Testicular droopage.